Greetings, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Compare and Campaign. I am your host, Tom Lando, and with me, as always, is my co-host and co-GM DM. In this case, he's a nomad. McGill. And he's a nomad because on his side of the podcast, he'll be covering... The expansion to the solo space bounty hunting rpg notorious uh favorite of mine i talked about it on the show previously and uh they put out uh, an expansion for it called outsiders so we'll be looking at the outsiders expansion yeah i also have played uh notorious and so this should be interesting for me going into it this is episode 178 of comparing campaign being recorded on uh the 24th of january 2024 and um yeah uh i'm interested to get into this expansion because like i say i've i've played this game myself and uh so i've got a bit of insight into it um and meanwhile on my side of the podcast we're just continuing where we left off with uh in the campaign of Coyote's Aegis, which is uh, my Dungeons and Dragons campaign, um, we're in a big climactic battle uh, for the assault on the city of the Mantle, this terrible, tyrannical human supremacist city deep in the haunted forests of Agaloc. If you're not caught up, man, there's been a lot of episodes all about this but uh and a lot of lead up to it but now yeah i feel like this is definitely a case where you know hi new listener if this is your first uh episode of the show you might want to go back a few to at least the beginning of this particular operation because it's been going on for a while now yeah man and uh so this and uh, yeah and this particular operation it's uh so far is uh Part one is this big naval battle, and uh, the players have been leaping from ship to ship. They finally settled on an enemy, sort of heavily armored enemy ship called the Bloody Fury, which they've then been taking from uh, defensive raft to defensive raft, uh, dismounting and, uh, you know, rounding up the uh, human traitors that uh, betrayed their organization. Um separate making sure that they're taken alive uh amidst all that chaos so they're they're taking the defensive rafts and they're taking prisoners just working their way through all of these different water vessels they've done the ships onto the rafts yeah i guess so like yeah you know it's a funny thing i was uh I was working on so so I haven't run my D&D game in in ages. It's been on hiatus for Coyote's months. ages. Yeah, Coy- Coyote's hiatus. Um, <laughs> Coyote's hiatus that lasts ages. Yeah, uh goes back months and months now. But I finally started doing some notes, getting ready because, you know, we're planning to finish Teeth quite soon. 
do our big finale of that. And once that's done, uh, ostensibly, I'm supposed to go back to run in my, my 5e game after all these months. And I was going to say, is it actually happening? Is, is Coyote's Age just going to resume? I think so. That's that's the plan. Um, I don't I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know who's which players are able or willing to come back or what. But you're going to have one player playing all the characters. I mean, there is a point that we're coming up to where it becomes just me and my brother playing. Like, so it might actually be that. It's been that uh, once before. Um, and, you know, not terrible. You know, like, it's it's particularly if we treat it more like almost like a, like, like a tactical exercise, almost like a skirmish game, you know? Like, we play, we used to play Warhammer together and stuff, all that, all that sort of thing. And so, like, um you know working our way through the whole meet uh together it's uh i don't know it's 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 pretty fun um it's more fun with company though right and uh ideally you can get you know some other people like you know currently we're covering this part of my game where it's me my brother and chantel and just with chantel added to the mix there's like more banter and everything there and it's it's like feels more you know alive um i think that once we get to that point where it's just me and my brother it's going to feel much more like i don't know like uh sort of a tactical run through of of what happened i don't know i guess we'll see yeah, I can imagine that the thing that suffers when you have one player playing multiple characters is, like you said, that sort of interplay between the characters, that banter. Don't get any uh, any of that because that player probably just thinks it to themselves. I mean, we've seen that Alex is pretty good about like representing two players at once in the in the games that I've been describing, like even as he runs both Hex and Connor. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, it, it's funny because looking to return to the game that I was running, the whole meat just doesn't seem as appetizing as it used to. And, you know, thinking about it now, I think that part of that may just be that I think that at this point there are styles of games and systems thinking particularly of wicked ones that are just more attractive to me than 5e and so like as much as i want to get the value out of what i'm getting the content from for my D game i at the same time, like, I guess I just don't want to spend as much time with it anymore, you know? I totally get what you're saying. And uh, I wouldn't say that I have been feeling that way as much because I have, you know, a 5e campaign going on. Um, I don't feel as much like 
pulled away from 5e, but if I took a long enough break from it, I'd probably be in the same spot where I'm like, yeah, but why would I do that when I've got like this this new hotness going on? There are a lot of things about Wicked Ones, which I guess also apply to Blades in the Dark, that I definitely prefer to D&D. I really love how in Wicked Ones, we can really just sort of like skip the guff, right? In, in, in a D&D game where it's like you got to travel across the countryside to get there, players might be like, okay, well, we got to stock up on trail rations. We got to make sure we got a good mode of transportation so it doesn't take us too long to get there. Oh, there might be a random encounter on the road. Uh, oh, I got to assign my spell slots, et cetera, et cetera. Just like lots of little crunchy rules that you got to take into account. Whereas with Wicked Ones, we can just be like, all right, so you're there. You're outside the village already. And then if there's anything that any of the players forgot, they can be like, well, I'm going to do a flashback to set up this thing that would have happened long before we even got there. It's just uh, there's a real efficiency to it that I really like that I just don't think you can apply as well to something like D&D. So I see what you're saying for sure. There are all these other systems that that hold a lot of appeal, and there are definitely things about systems like Wicked Ones that I find more appealing even than Dungeons & Dragons. But, you know, maybe that's also like a recency bias thing where... It's it's the new it's the cool new toy it's the cool new game that I've been playing so maybe that's why I'm I'm feeling more drawn to it. So that may be true, but you know you know Tom, I actually just heard about recency bias, and I have to say, of all the biases, it's my favorite. Yeah, good one. There's a, <laughs> if this was on your channel, I'd, I'd play that OU gif. Um, <laughs> so, but but. Like, with Wicked Ones, one thing that I'm just so digging about it is the whole, like, sort of shared collaborative element of it, like, of the of the storytelling and stuff. And whereas, you know, in Dungeons & Dragons, it's much more like I, the DM, hold the cards and, like, I, I deal them to the players and... Uh, you know, it's it's Yeah, we uh, talked about this about how like a key difference is that in a game like Wicked Ones, players do have that narrative agency to sort of suggest ideas and say like I'm going to sneak up on the guard and he doesn't see me coming at all. Like that kind of thing. Uh where they can add suggestions into the mix that the the GM can veto them if, you know, the GM so chooses, but the the idea is that everybody takes turns in the spotlight telling the story uh building out the world whereas D&D uh I've referred to it in the past as like almost more like call and response where the player will be like I want to do this can I do this is this you know uh maybe a better example than the one I gave is something like you know the player finds themselves in a, a dark cave uh they might say in D&D like are there materials around that I could build a torch out of? And the, the DM would be like, oh, yeah, you know, there's there's some sticks in a pile. Uh, there's a skeleton with some old raggedy clothing that you can make a torch out of. Whereas in something like Wicked Ones, the player could just be like, I make a torch out of a, a bone with a rag that's just, you know, on the, the floor of the cave. So there there is a, a real difference in like the function of being a player in both games. 
at the same time, I'm thinking about it, and it's like I th I'm thinking about then, you know, what do I want my D and D game to have? And it's like I do want to have like these encounters with these strange alien monsters and stuff, and it's like. The thing is that D&D, &D, there's just, like, the way you do that is three encounters, and it's, like, roll initiative, and it's, like, <sighs> I just, I'm just staring down the barrel of, like, so many initiative rolls. Do you know what I mean? Yep, absolutely. Uh, this is another topic that we've discussed many times before, is D&D &D is very based around combat, and if the combat's really big with a lot of enemies... It got a little tedious, in my opinion. You know, how do you keep combat from being boring is one of my ongoing uh, goals in D&D, is keeping combat from being a slog as people, oh, I rolled, I missed, and now I have to wait through 12 other characters and NPCs' turns before it gets back to me and I can try again, and then I roll and I miss, and then I got to wait again. You know, I think also... It's it's hard to sort of like get this across, get the entire uh, idea here across without having reached the point in Coyote's Aegis that we're actually where we left off in the hiatus. Because like, I don't know, there's just something about that, um, how the game's been going. Like like they're all level twenty now, right? And there's a certain ex, like. They go into some combats and it's just like they are going to win the combat. It's a question of what resources are they going to spend to get through it. And it it's it's like it is interesting because in that way it has almost come full circle and gone back to being like an Oregon Trail style game. Um, but I don't know. I just... It's, uh, it's hard to come back to, I think. Especially, especially like, putting a bookmark in the middle of such a vast and epic campaign like that one. I could totally see, like, you gotta really sort of get into the right headspace. You gotta refresh your own memory on, like, all the moving parts of the world you've created. It is, sort of, it is an intimidating prospect to dive back in with the players all epic level like this late in the in the story, for sure. I can absolutely see why you're you're sort of gnawing on that. Um, I just realized that speaking about all this stuff, I've totally forgot about my my big news. I put out Orbserver, my second game made on the Caltrop Core system. It's out on yeah. itch. It costs one dollar. Uh, in it, you and the players. Well, there's a GM and then the players. Uh, control uh, alien scouts sent forth from the void that have a very bizarre orb-like design that sprouts uh, cable tentacles to manipulate their environment. It's a really weird game that is like, you know, I don't know, feels like, it feels like something that like only I would put out. So it's like close to the heart in that sense. Um it is unique for sure. Like that is the thing that strikes me most about it is while, uh, cause it's based on Caltrop core, right? Yeah. 
So while the dice system of it is not unique, it is based on an established one that is fairly stripped down, just the, the premise of it is really interesting. The types of characters that players will play, very unusual stuff. So it's got a, a quite a, like alien concept to it. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I put it What's out. What's the it's URL? Where do they find it? Uh, <clears throat> that is a good question. Let me, uh, let me get it. Tlando.itch.io slash observer. O R B S E R V E R. Yeah. And I'd love to hear about, like, if you run this with people too. Yeah. I, I mean, this, this is a game where I've, I've read the rule book because you sent it to me. And, uh, like I said, I'm quite taken with how unique it is and, and just, you know, these unusual facets of the, the game lore itself uh but this is another example of a game where i'm like but how does it play i'd love to love to hear about a, a campaign or even just an observer adventure yeah um i definitely it definitely is like it's more designed for like if it was a campaign it would still be very episodic like um i don't know you could do a sort of like escalating campaign in some way but like it's it's really not specifically designed for that i would say um what it i think what its specialty is is in sort of like short one-offs like one shots and things like that um and uh yeah um i guess i just have to find time to run it is the thing and and people to play it with so many games, so little time. We're going through like the the big list of of our personal hitches on this one. Is combat boring? Too many RPGs. Um <clears throat> So I've got a I've got a D and D topic, Tom, if we wanna use that as the, the lead in to our discussion of your D D campaign. Sure. So this is uh, an article I found on Dicebreaker, uh, dicebreaker.com, and uh, I figure we can quickly go through this one because this is, I think, a very useful little article, uh, not something that a lot of people talk about, which is seven essential tips for first-time D&D players, 5e etiquette from almost a decade of tabletop role-playing experience. So as a new player, uh, you know, you've learned the rules, but uh, what should you come prepared with when you come to your first session? So let's let's go through some of these. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember. We had a good one. Was it know the game, know your character, be in the game? Yeah, that's right. Be the... in the game, in your character, in the rules. Something. What was it? I wish I could remember our own motto. Be present, I think, was sort of the bottom line, right? I like, don't be, know. It, I, I'm pretty sure it all boiled down to just, like, be present. Know the rules, be in character, and, like, be there ready to play, ready to, to yes and other people. Don't stand in the way. 
But here's like the long form version of talking about those same things. So uh, first up, know what moves you have at your disposal. Um, I won't read like the full article on all these. I'll just give sort of a summary of each point. This one, of course, is like know the rules, but also know what's on your character sheet. Um, and I do think, you know, like know, know what the skills are, know what checks are your character's strong suit. Uh, just make it so that you know as much about your character so that when the DM starts calling for things, you're ready. You know what to look for. Um, I think this really applies especially to things like uh, spellcasting characters. Know what spells you have at your disposal, which ones are good for which situations. Um, if a DM is a stickler, make sure that you know what spell components you need, for example. Uh, likewise, know what special abilities you have in combat. Uh, know if you get a bonus for different types of things, like, you know, if you have a weapon that deals poison damage, make sure you know to note down when you attack with it, like, this deals poison damage, so that enemy is slowed, or that enemy gets, you know, this penalty. And, uh, and something that I have often recommended to people playing D&D with me who have never played before is, like, in a margin of your character sheet, or on the back, or wherever, it's a good idea to sort of write down like an order of operations that you would typically do in combat. Like a friend of mine, uh, her first game ever, she was playing a barbarian. And I say, and I said, so like note down next to your your combat abilities and weapons and stuff, like what you should be doing is like combat starts, you rage so that you get your bonus, then you do, you know, this ability and then attack with this weapon. Like that's sort of uh, an ideal opening order of operations for your character so that when combat breaks out, you get the biggest bonus you can get. Uh, what do you think of this one, Tom? Know the moves at your disposal. I mean, yeah, it's just, uh, I, I guess, yeah, it's it's a good rule to have. It's, it's good advice. I think it carries through, like, when I think about Wicked Ones, I definitely that is an important part of like how I stay keep, keep the game going, you know, keep, keep it well paced is just like, mm -hmm. I always know what I'm want to do next and how I'm going to do it. Um, generally. And uh, what your character is capable of. That's a big one, right? Cause uh, with the exception of some things like magic, most characters can sort of do most things like, just about any character can wield most weapons, but if they're not proficient, they're not as good. So, you know, be aware that like, okay, yeah, you can pick up that, whatever, that great sword, but if you don't have the proficiency, you're not, not going to be as good as if you use your, whatever, your quarterstaff, whatever you're actually proficient in. Just sort of knowing the, the quirks of your character and what they can do, I, I totally think, yeah, essential. Uh, the next... Next item here is don't try and metagame, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, I I do think that it's this one is a good tip for like role playing, right? Like you're, it says here, you and your D and D character are different people. They know different things. If you overhear a secret that another character is privy to, you can't role play as though your character knows that secret. So 
being aware of like the the division between player and character and like when your character is present for something that's happening to a different character that's a a good thing to to keep in mind uh but the phrasing on this uh don't metagame is interesting because like thinking of teeth recently we totally do like minor metagaming in that where it'll be like oh my god you know we gotta we have to make uh whatever kind of check uh who's best at that and then we all go like okay i got a point in that i got two points okay you should probably make that check then and I don't think that that's like harmful metagaming in, in role playing. Likewise, for like D&D, somebody's got to pick a lock. It makes sense to be like, well, I think the rogue probably has the best bonus in that, right? Oh, yeah, I totally. Do. OK, you should be the one to pick the lock. But I don't know. Uh, I found this one to be interesting because it's something that I'm kind of guilty of as a player. What do you think, Tom? Yeah, I don't know. I find the whole metagaming thing, it's so... It feels like such a, a, like, beginner, a, a beginner role, like, like D&D issue is, like, when you have someone who is metagaming, it's usually because, in my experience, like, it happens when someone is, like, new to the game and sort of hasn't learned this rule yet, and yet mm. the concept of metagaming is a bit hard to convey to new players so you get into this weird sort of thing where it's like don't metagame i guess it's good advice but i'm not sure that the people who need to hear it are going to understand it do you understand what i'm saying yeah i think that's that's fair to say for sure i i think it's something that is mostly learned in like practice right uh and while this rule is included in this article uh, I think any DM that's worth their salt, if somebody if somebody's playing their character and they're like, oh, I know that that secret, you know, was told, then the DM could be like, no, you weren't there. So you don't actually know. And then we can just very easily move on. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Like, I think that's how the it's learned. Mm -hmm. So a good guideline. But but I don't know if uh, I don't know if even this little like two paragraph summary of it really conveys the distinction because i do think that there are types of metagaming that are fine like the ones i just i just described where like the group is like who's going to be best at this thing we need to make it count and somebody will be like oh i got a high i got a big bonus in you know whatever skill and then everybody goes then you should be the one to attempt it i think that's totally fine um now this one i think is downright essential and i'm surprised they waited until slot three for it don't be afraid to ask questions self-explanatory like absolutely do it if you're new to a game and you're playing with seasoned other players and a seasoned dm like i'm sure they can help you out i can't think whatever whatever group doesn't help out a new player when they ask questions sucks <laughs> the point is for everybody to have fun and everybody to be involved so you know how do i roll my attack again is not a silly question when you're trying to keep up with a thousand new mechanics this is from the article and that's especially true if you're not familiar with rpgs there is no shame in wondering aloud someone around the table may have the answer or you can bond through looking it up and learning about the game together it's a good idea uh bring a notepad and you know what? This is one that I am guilty of not doing. I have not been taking 
thorough enough notes in our game of teeth. So there are a few NPCs where you mention them. I'm like, oh yeah, shit, who was that person? Um, so bringing a notepad along is a great idea. And just like write down a few bullet points about the game as you learn them so that you don't forget them. Uh, especially if your DM is a stickler, and this is not throwing shade, but uh, there are some DMs that say, if you don't remember, your character doesn't remember. Yeah, well, that's, that's a fair thing to say, but it sure helps to remember if you've been noting everything down. Uh, any thoughts on that? Bring a notepad. Do you take, uh, do you take notes when you play in, a, in someone else's campaign? Um, I tend to just doodle. But your brother takes pretty thorough notes, which uh, I think is pretty cool. Um, He's really saved our butts. Uh, he saved my butt and teeth by just being like, oh, yeah, uh, we're looking for this and this guy's in charge of it. And I go like, oh, yeah, good. Good thing he's in my party. Um, what I've been doing lately is every time I play something... I then like immediately go and tell a friend like a detailed account of what like what happened. Ah, and yeah. that way I end up having a record of wicked ones. I have a record of like my record of teeth is just my account of it that I send to Marsh, the guy who made it. One of the oh, guys nice. who made it. Um and uh That method uh that you're describing reminds me of uh a tip that I don't have a trouble I don't have trouble with names, but I remember reading a tip for people who have trouble with names, especially if you're meeting a lot of new people, is when you talk to someone new for the first time, you ask them their name, but then you also ask like, uh, what's your favorite TV show or some unique detail about them, and it helps stick it in your brain more, where you're like, oh yeah, that's Phil and he likes the wire. Like it's just like an additional little thing that ties it because you know maybe you know a bunch of people named Phil but oh Phil who likes the wire I met him at so and so's wedding uh, so just having like relaying that information repeating it to someone else or giving you know having just sort of a unique little little fact in there can really help you remember stuff and so can a notepad uh here's one that I think all players should do cut your DM some slack. DM or GM. Um, DMs that got a lot of things to, to keep track of. It's not a super easy job. I mean, I think it, it does get pretty easy once you know the game, but uh, there's always a lot to keep track of. And, uh, and to me, this rule is a really good one because it goes hand in hand with, uh, with that first one, which is like know what moves are at your disposal, know what your character can do. Uh, I think a lot about situ or this makes me think of like situations where somebody gets a bonus or somebody has an item. Uh, as DM, I don't track like what's in your character's knapsack. I don't. I'll I'll dish out items, but unless it's like a super unique item or an item to do with the, the central plot of a game, I probably don't keep track of who has it. Uh, I just know like, oh yeah, like that sacred sword that they're gonna need later. Uh, one of them picked it up, I don't remember who. So cut your DM some slack if they forget about that. 
Uh, make sure that you bring it up if you think it's important. And then also very important is, uh, you know, the DM might, all, might not always make a call that you agree with. Uh, try not to argue with them too much. You know, maybe you can make a case if you think that it's a really bad call. But uh, ultimately, the DM, what the DM says goes. And, uh, and try to respect that. Don't, don't shout across the table with your DM. It's not fun for anybody, even the, the other people who aren't in the shouting match. Um, yeah, but DMs, don't, don't freak out at your players either. Don't freak out at your players. Uh, just everybody be respectful. This is another... <laughs> this, we, we keep coming back to like Wicked Ones and Teeth. Uh, this is yet another reason why I kind of feel like uh, like those systems kind of shine. Maybe they'd be a better system for uh, a completely someone who's completely new to role playing, simply because uh, they're so much more inherently collaborative. You're not just consulting the DM to see what you can do. You can suggest what you can do, and if you have a good idea, the GM in a, a game of Wicked Ones or Teeth or or whatever is is likely to be like oh i really like that let's run with that whereas in D D, it might be more of a hard fast like okay i want to do this and the dm goes no you can't you just got to accept that um let everyone have a turn i think that this is this is good and this you know this is a rule for new players but man i have played with so many people who should also follow this rule and they've been playing rpgs for years don't make it all about you right? You want to do something, you don't have to go into like solo spotlight mode. Try to make sure that everybody uh, can take part in the conversation. The one person doesn't dominate it. Let other players attempt their skill checks, even if you know your character will ace it. Like, why not? Um, just be self-aware, respectful, and, and like, don't interrupt. Wait for your turn. I think that's just damn good advice. And then uh, the last thing on this list is don't be that guy. What do you think this means, Tom? Uh, you know, this is that guy is the whole thing on it's it's a it's the it's the bad guy of RPGs. It's like yeah, what is the what does the bad guy of RPGs do though? What's an example? Oh man, I can't. Uh... I mean, I can give you one here, but, like, I'd love to know what you think that means. Uh, I mean, sort of, the some of the things that you just said, like, not following those rules feels like being that guy. Like, particularly, like, you know, taking up too much, like, like yeah. you know, uh taking up undue space or um like taking over the conversation hogging the spotlight uh this example here has uh has some other things that i think are very important to keep in in mind which is like uh don't make anybody uncomfortable right yeah. like uh you know if you're a bard the the cliche is that bards want to have sex with everything don't make that weird be like a flirty bard, but like, don't make it weird. Don't be a murderous edgelord. Um, and then if if you're doing something that everybody's like, ugh, we don't like that, definitely don't go, oh, but that's what my character would do. No, nah, screw that. 
Like, we're all here to have fun. Don't make anyone un uncomfortable. Uh, this article has a really good uh, line here, which says, um, if you feel like you're about to say, but that's just what my character would do, it might be time to rethink your strategy and perhaps apologize. Because the best case scenario is you'll get the party in some trouble in game. But the worst case scenario is that everybody playing might see a side of you that they don't like and not want to play with you anymore. Hopefully you'll be getting a session zero, which is a great time to discuss with everyone the kinds of themes and topics that they're comfortable hearing about. Breaking those boundaries is a dick move. And like, yeah, I, I definitely think that that holds true. Um, we keep talking about Wicked Ones, and Wicked Ones is sort of a, a perfect example of an arena where it could go all wrong. Everybody's playing as like monsters, right? And uh, there's a whole thing in the Wicked Ones source book about like just be aware what everybody's comfortable with and it's a good idea to start the whole game before even characters are drawn up just setting down the the like the boundaries of good taste as it were saying like okay you know i'm not comfortable with as an extreme example like murdering children but you're a bunch of monsters. It's the kind of thing that's not inconceivable. But hey, if somebody's like, no, I don't want to deal with that kind of subject matter, then you got to respect that. Don't be a dick. That's that's uh, very important. Uh, and uh, like with Wicked Ones, when we started out, I said, like, obviously you're going to be evil, but I think it should be like, like PG-13, almost Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom level of evil. Like, we can get kind of gruesome. You, as, as Dag the Weir Goblin, you could totally rip someone's heart out of their chest, but you don't want to do something really, like, you know, R-rated or, or worse. Because uh, it, might, it might be a little too much. You don't want to go full martyrs on, uh, on Wicked Ones. Gosh. Yeah, exactly, right? It's like although Grotch is always making his skin suits. He is, but notice how uh, whenever Grant's character the Grotch uh makes a a suit out of some poor NPC's skin, we never go like, you know, okay, you you skin the guard alive. His screams echo through the mine as you separate flesh from bone. He's still living by the time you peel his face. It's, ugh, we don't get into that. That's just like a little too gruesome. Instead, we're like, okay, uh, I'm, uh, Grant in his grunge voice goes, I'm go just going to take these corpses back to my room and work on my suit. And that's all we need to say. Or, or also, we say, like, your suit looks really weird. It looks like a bad Halloween mask. <laughs> yeah, because he keeps, he, he, like, he's decent enough to use corpses, but the corpses have all, like, you know, been, you know, killed by us. Killed by mm -hmm. the pyromaniac kobold, the the were goblin that can just like tear people's throats out and like you know Grotch has got all sorts of weird contraptions and whatnot um but we're still trying to keep it be a messy patchwork yeah but we're still trying to keep it upbeat and not dwell on like the really dark grotesque side of that and and that's just sort of that's that's the bottom line with don't be that guy is like you just got to respect what everyone's comfortable with. And generally, if it's a playgroup that's been going for a while, you do have a sense of that. 
So those are like the seven tips for a new D&D player, some etiquette from Dicebreaker.com. I think these are all good good rules to abide by if you're joining a D&D campaign for the first time. There's obviously lots more of stuff to learn, but uh, but going in with all this knowledge is is good in my books and there are a couple points there as I said that I could probably stand to follow like taking better notes as a player. Let's do Coyote's Aegis. All right. So, when we left off, um they had just leapt onto the raft. Uh it was like covered, it was all spattered in blood. Um, there was a, a leader in a, like a, a bloody apron, uh, trudging around the, the place. There's a big furnace and big smoke being cast off and four big towers on the raft. Um, and patrolling the raft were a number of like mechanical suits of armor with, uh, special back plates that could be hacked by gent. Um, but they're basically robots and they're patrolling around the raft. And so, um, the players leapt onto the raft. They managed to subdue the human trader who was wearing the, the bloody apron, who was like commanding the, uh, armor. And, uh, Gent has managed to hack one of the uh, bots. Um, meanwhile, Connor is surrounded by these robots, um, but thankfully his cloak of displacement saves him from a severe beating. Um, meanwhile, uh, Hex is going toe-to-toe with one robot and uh, gets assaulted. Um, the thing rolls a nat 20, so it really bludgeons him for uh, quite a bit of damage. He's not raging yet, so he doesn't resist it. Um, the robot's not in a rowboat, though, right? We established that. No, no, they're on a raft. Uh, Missed opportunity. A complicated raft, though. Um, then uh, Gent snatches the key to the robot's backplate uh, off of the uh, subdued uh, human because uh, he's got the key to, like, so that basically Gent isn't going to have to roll uh, Thieves' Tools checks to hack into them anymore. They can just use the, the key. Um, so Gent grabs the traitor's key, then slips up behind one of the suits of armor. The suit struggles, but Gent is determined and gets the key in, allowing Gent to reprogram the robot on the spot. Uh, for a command, Gent says, Protect Hex, the lizard. Uh then Connor uh, gets into combat with uh, one of the, uh, you know, another one of the robots. Um, and gets a uh, nat 20, uh, stabs the robot in the face, and then uh, the spirit weapon shovel uh, strikes it in the head. Um, jumping back to, uh, Hex's turn, uh, he's, like I said, he's going toe-to-toe with one robot, um, so he strikes the bot in the arm, uh, follows through their blade cutting deep into the core of the machine and destroying it. That was using his, uh, crucifix scimitar. Um, 
So then Hex moves in and uh, attacks uh, the one that Connor was attacking and sweeps the robot's legs out from under it. Uh, Hex slips through the combat, presses the assault, and uh, attacks another one of them, striking it in the left shoulder. Uh, and uh, so then Gent... Uh, sorry, the new robot, basically, since, uh, Hex isn't being attacked anymore, uh, the robot needs a new command, or I guess so, because I say, gent, the robot, new bot needs a new command, and I'm not sure why I, <laughs> I, I'm not entirely sure why, uh, but that's my guess, and so gent gives the command, bring loot, a suit of armor pushes past Hex and Gent to climb up onto the stairs leading onto the, up to the platform surrounding the furnace at the center of the raft. Moving in front of the furnace, the suit of armor retrieves an ornate battle axe composed of obsidian and silver, then continues back down the stairs. Alex is like, oh, dope. And uh, uh, Chantel says, I may be feeling something akin to parental pride. Um, Rusty... The first robot that Gent reprogrammed flails a bit, missing his mark entirely before slamming his opponent in the chest with his fist. Rusty is battered across the head and shoulders by his opponent while sidestepping the attacking of the enemy to his left. Uh, the suit of armor in front of Hex stomps his foot for 15 blunt, then strikes him across the head for 11. Uh, and then Gent, uh, on their turn... They say, uh, next robot to join the family, uh, if I can get one. And, uh, so, Gent, uh, there's some, like, special maneuvering because, I, as I said, like, this raft has a lot of, like, features on it. Like, it has all these platforms and towers and things like that, this furnace. And so, uh... Gent manages to uh, climb up over one of the platforms and get behind one of the enemies. And then uh, as the suit of armor prepares to continue assaulting Hex, Gent leaps at it from the side, catching it off guard, and slips the key in, taking control of it. Um, and uh, Gent sort of looks over the enemies. There's two hostiles remaining. One is barely standing, so Gent points at the one barely standing and orders the uh, robot to grapple it. On Connor's turn, Connor hears Gent's orders and turns to face the uninjured one and attempts to grapple that one. Connor just barely manages to hold it. Uh, Connor says, These automatons too will be brought into the light. Then ends his turn. Or actually, he attempts to uh, hacks the... Um, or no, never mind. He... he thinks about hacking the robot but then realizes he doesn't have the action for it um so then on hex's turn uh hex uh attempts to uh hack the bot that connor is grappling because he has thieves tools and proficiency um from the time that the party had no rogue and uh successfully hacks the robot so uh there is now only one hostile bot remaining and he says what is uh, your command for your bot hex and how uh, does hex... a D, D character hack a robot 
It's uh, they have these back plates that they normally there's a key for, but instead uh, they can do a thieves tools and like sort of like pick it like a lock pick. Did you treat these robots like constructs or yes. more like like golems or like just constructs? Yeah, I think they were like animated armors or something. All right. Yeah. Um. So, at this point, there's only one hostile bot remaining, and Hexpa gives the command, grab the unconscious body, that that being the uh, human traitor that they managed to knock unconscious. Um, then, uh, Connor uses his reaction to release the bot that he's grappling. Uh, as Rusty and his enemy kick and punch at each other fruitlessly, Gent's newly turned bot moves to grab the remaining hostile and grabs it. Um... On Gent's turn, uh, at this point, I say we, uh, I say we can just say that Gent gets the last one with the key without worrying about the logistics of it, and uh, Gent says, "Mwahaha! I take over the world." So they now have five robots, two in perfect shape, and the others in various states of disrepair. One of these bots is even carrying their captive for them, while another has brought them a pretty dope-looking battle axe. Um, they gain 100 gold for taking this raft. Gent's new total is 21,804. Hex signals the Bloody Fury to come in for a close pickup. And uh, Gent says, can I keep them? And Hex says, Dax might want to see one of these. We can give him a damaged one. And uh, returning to their commandeered vessel allows them to once again receive the benefits of a short rest. Again, there are ropes below decks which help them restrain their captives. Um, Connor drinks a supreme healing potion. Gent orders two robots to keep guard of their prisoners and three of the disrepaired ones to assist the crew. Um, and uh, Hex takes the battle axe and puts it in the bag of holding. It has an obsidian hilt with and silver serpents coiling up the shaft. All of these, uh, or, or I think... Yeah, I think all of the magic items that appear in this operation are taken, at least their descriptions are taken from uh, the treasure that you get in the epic that I was basing this on, the DDEP3. Um, the only difference is that I upgraded all the treasure to be like uh, plus two vicious weapons. Vicious. Whenever anybody mentions a vicious weapon, uh, the song "Vicious" by Lou Reed starts playing in my head. Hmm. What do you know? What a vicious weapon does? Oh gosh, not off the top of my head, but I—it's one of those keywords like vorpal, right? Is a vicious weapon? Does it deal uh, bleeding damage? No, a uh, vicious weapon deals extra damage on a crit. Ah, right. Um, they the players sort of admire the axe Alex says it does seem super dope and Hex can't get his rage bonus unless he isn't using a finesse weapon uh, and uh, I ask and the robots aren't coming into battle with you guys and uh, they say nah guard the boat and our prisoners I say alright on the tower uh, on the tower raft sits a tall wooden tower with a ladder leading up to the top 
where two chests sit with a sword driven into the wood between them. At the tower's base, a female warrior in bone armor sits astride a giant scorpion. She is presumably Sheena, the lone female listed among the four traitors you were informed of. I was going to say, we've been, we've been building up to this encounter for like the past two episodes, haven't we? I mean, it's just one of the raft encounters. Yeah, I know, but like I remember noting when you first described the rafts that there was like this scorpion riding lady, and I was like, "Oh, interesting!" Now it finally it, we finally arrive. So you've been waiting for this one. Uh, she is accompanied by five soldiers. The scorpion, of course, is looking worse for wear after being the target of a flaming ballista strike that was in one of our previous episodes. The smoke of battle continues to provide cover, allowing the players to potentially slip through the chaos undetected and board the tower raft unseen. Once again, the situation calls for a good pilot. And uh, Alex says, I feel like that's gent. Bring us in, Skipper. And uh, so uh, gent just barely manages to evade the eyes of the defenders, taking a long looping path through the war zone to come up behind the raft undetected. Uh Gent says, amazing. Also, dibs on the steed. Um, Gent's going to ride a giant scorpion. Uh, that's, that's their plan. Uh, <laughs> the raft has taken some damage in battle, and so there's spots around the raft that indicate like uh, areas of damage. Um, and so we roll uh, initiative. Um Hex charges up the deck into the midst of the combat and starts blasting the scorpion at close range. Um, they get the scorpion in the face. The giant creature shrieks most horribly. Uh, they give it a grazing hit to its mighty hide and then blast its tail off. And then finally, with the last shot, it falls dead. And uh, Alex says, Ah, sick. Scorpion tail flail unlocked. And then hashtag, Now this is Dark Souls. Gent says, there goes my ride. Then uh, Hex goes in to bite the rider, and uh, he does eight damage by saying, oh my god, Hex bit Sheena's ear off. Mike Tyson on this captain, Alex says. <laughs> Jeez. Um, Gent moves in, starts shooting uh, some of the soldiers that are, that are uh, around Hex. Um, Jet pins the recruit south of Hex through the left arm. Uh, the shot continues through his arm, through his heart, and he falls dead. Um, then it is Connor. Connor moves up to join Hex and attacks the recruit uh, next to him with the javelin. Gets the recruit in the right arm. Um, and uh, then it is Jet's second turn. Um, so Gent, uh, shoots at the target that, uh, Connor just charged with his javelin, um, and, or, or no, targets a different soldier, uh, and gets him with a headshot, one shot, one kill, and then we cut back to Hex, uh, who uses a bonus action to put his scimitar out, and then proceeds to non-lethally bash uh, Sheena three times, striking her in the left arm, another to the left elbow, across the chest, and then it's Gent, uh, Gent's turn. Um, 
at this point, I point out that, like, they've got, like, a healthy, like, stack of advantage from all their, like, consistent performance roles, their kills, their crits. Like, that whole system of shock and awe that I described last uh, last episode, um, at this point, like, they're just riding this wave of, like, advantage on every role. Hell yeah. Uh, so, uh, Gent targets one of the soldiers pins his left foot he yelps stumbles and cracks his head on the raft dying instantly Gent says not clean uh the recruit at the bottom of the ladder that climbs the tower fires a blow dart at connor uh connor manages to catch it on his shield at the last second the heavily wounded recruit next to connor turns and swings his scimitar the blade scrapes off of connor's shield harmlessly um and then for connor's turn he tries to jab the recruit to death connor runs him through sheena screams goal i will avenge you goal being her uh her scorpion <laughs> Chantel simply says incorrect uh she calls over her shoulder as she turns to face hex and connor don't let them up the tower hold your ground she swings her blade at connor he manages to sidestep the first strike, but the next hits him in the left forearm, disrupting the cloak of displacement. Um, Hex keeps up with the non-lethal attacks and uh, hits her with a winding, winding strike to the sternum, then a strike to the left leg, then the right leg, and then uh, he says, and I'll attempt to bite non-lethally. And I say, I'll allow it, but watch yourself, counselor. And... Uh, she attempts to stop his next attack only for him to clench his jaws on her right forearm. Um, he doesn't chomp as hard as he could, though, and she falls to her knees. Uh, for Gent's turn, uh, the remaining recruit guards the ladder leading up the tower. Gents thinks to, the, thinks to themselves, the tower may be a trap, and then ignores the warning. Shoots the guy at the remaining guard. Sh shoots the guy at the bottom of the at the bottom of the ladder. Gets a nat twenty. I say, shot through the heart. Uh, and and the blame is implied. Yes, exactly. And uh, Gent uses uh, their dash to get to the top of the tower. As Gent reaches the top of the tower, they find themselves enclosed in a ring of fire that surrounds the top of the tower. Gent says, damn it. Within the ring of fire, they stand before a long sword driven into the top of the tower with a chest on either side of it. The sword is a silver short sword and appears to have an inscription on the blade. The ring of fire is green, I forgot to say. Gent says, cool, I think that's my turn. There's no more hostiles, so it's just down to Gent in this weird puzzle area for now. And uh, Gent says, I try to read the inscription without touching the sword. And I get them to roll investigate. They say, uh, you're pretty sure it's three letters and the last two are A and R. The first one is uncertain. Could be an O or a D or a Q maybe. Um, and uh, I then have them roll history with Vantage and they get a nat 20. And uh, I say, Gent does a little wheel of fortune in their head using their college education. O-R. Hmm. Car. Maybe? Dar. The legendary moonlight sword forged to slay necromancers. Ding. Bingo. Gent goes ding, ding, ding. Gent will inspect the chests without touching them. 
There's a carving on each chest. The one on the left has a carving of suit of armor, while the one on the right has what appears to be a wizard. And Jen says, do they have locks? And I say, yes. Jen says, hmm, okay. Can I shout this info down to my compatriots? I say, yep. Jen says, I will shout the info I know and what I have seen, adding I haven't touched anything. Hex says, sounds like some kind of cache of forbidden items. Are you sure you haven't touched anything? Seems out of character. We don't have any wizards. Try the sword. And uh, Jen says, good point, and grabs the sword. They take up the silver short sword Dar, the necromancer slayer, the moonlight sword. Uh, Chantel says, I do what you always do when you pick up a knife to make sure it works and stab the air. I say it's dope. Caref careful, your terrifying rapier from Citra Acra doesn't get jealous. And, uh, Jen says, okay, nothing bad has happened, so I will turn my attention to the armor chest. Check the lock for traps. I say, there's definitely something wrong with this lock. It's probably trapped. Moreover, you think that this puzzle is intended for you to use the sword to strike the lock. There's certainly no uh, no key on hand. And Jen says, hmm, I will shout that down to Hex and Connor. I say, unless this whole thing was intended to lure someone specifically carrying thieves' tools? Jen says, fair. If the sword is for necromancers, then I think I should strike the wizard chest. Ha uh, Alex says, I suppose. And I said, does Jen do that? And uh, Chantel says, yes. And I say, the ring of green fire is dismissed. You are free to leave the tower with your new silver short sword. Jen says, what is in the chest? I say, the chest springs open, revealing two simple healing potions re resting on a fancy cushion. Jen grabs them and looks at the other chest. That one open? I say, it's probably trapped. She says, sure, but a closed chest. Jen, leave that behind? I say, does Jen want to keep the sword? We'll throw the sword down to Hex and attempt to pick on the lock on the other chest. I say, all right, these tools with advantage. Um, the sword is on Hex for now. And I say, uh, it takes a bit of doing, but eventually the lock clicks and the chest explodes. Roll dexterity save, Gent. Gent laughs and laughs and says, oh, fuck. Uh, and laughs and laughs and says, 13. And I say, you can't say I didn't warn you. Uh... And uh, they take, um, even with advantage, their 13 goes to a 14. They're really dying laughing at this point. Um, they, uh, but then um, the DC was only a 13. They go, oh my God, amazing. No damage on a successful for evasion. So Gent does an action hero leap down the ladder. And... Uh, Chantel says, I, so I picture Gent jumping off with the explosion behind them. Throws on the shades of abyssal reading. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And uh, they've got Sheena secured. And so they they summon the Bloody Fury and head for the last raft. Um, everyone gets 100 gold for that raft as well. Uh, they get a bunch of XP as well. And they secure Sheena with their other captives. And once again, they are afforded the benefits of a short rest. Gent says, sweet, how is my army? Say, one of the bots below decks briefly sat too long against the boiler component and burned itself for four damage. But the crew sat it heating up and uh, ordered it to move. Saw it heating up and or ordered it to move. Gent says, poor angel. Uh, and uh, so the rusty raft appears to be a fortress built from rusted metal plates. 
Toward the top of the fortress, a metal cage imprisons a glowing suit of armor. Nine soldiers defend the raft under command of a muscular man in body armor that bears the image of a flaming sword on each pauldron. The this raft must be, uh, like, low in the water. <laughs> Big metal raft, and it's got, like, a metal cage on it. Yeah, I think all of them are kind of, like big big uh almost like uh almost like oil rigs or something you know ah um but uh so uh the enemy the sorry the enemy forces aboard the rusty raft are largely distracted with the battle surrounding them uh the party might be able to take advantage of their preoccupation but they'll need a pilot that can guide them smoothly in order to avoid drawing their attention so once again gent manages to avoid the alert guards on the raft by maneuvering elsewhere until their attention is on the rest of the Draelic navy and other elements of the battle once they are preoccupied the bloody fury makes its sudden appearance and uh, they sneak up onto the back of the raft behind the enemy. And uh, everyone rules initiative. Hex takes the lead. Uh, so uh, Hex uh, goes up and I say... Uh, so he immediately goes to throw a grenade. And I say, it will hit your capture target, but I assume you're figuring he will survive. He says, probably, right? I say, going by the others, yeah, probably. And he says, uh, 17 damage total. I believe it's DC 14 dex. I say 15, I think. And he says, yeah, I just checked. Sorry. I'm, like, reading everything. It's getting some, like, weird minutia in it into the mix. Um, so the frag blasts the platform, shocking the unsuspecting hostiles. Doesn't do that much damage, though. Only 17. Uh, Hex moves up. That's Gent. Uh, Hex moves up into the fray right among all the soldiers. Uh, Gent skewers one of the soldiers in the left knee. He stumbles, falls, dies. Uh, Connor is up. I let Connor roll Arcana. Connor can detect a distinct magical aura radiating from the cage containing the suit of armor. Divine magic, if he's not mistaken. It's possible the emblems on the traitor's pauldrons indicate loyalty to un some unidentified deity. Whatever the case, Connor believes he might be able to disable the cage's magic if he can get to it. It is Connor's turn. Uh, Alex says, I'm assuming there's like a ladder leading up to the platform, or is it just like a climb the rigging situation? I say there's stairways. He says, starting from behind the target, I say in the middle to the middle level, uh, then stairways on the sides going to up to the top. So, Connor hefts his shotgun and charges. Uh, uh, I have everyone uh, roll religion, and uh, Gent gets a nat 20, and I say, oh, flaming sword? That's Surtur from Norse mythology. Gent knows that from college. Easy. Probably did a paper on him. Whatever. And Gent goes, psh, everybody knows that. And uh, so... Gent, or, or sorry, not Gent, Connor charging in with his shotgun, blasts a recruit, uh, hits him center ma mass for exactly his HP. Connor moves the rest of his movement uh, uh, up towards the stairs and then ends his turn. Gent gets their second turn. Uh, they aim to another soldier. 
Uh, pierce the right femoral artery, bleeds out. Um, then they uh, move up. Hex uh, moves up to the uh, target and begins the thwackening, in their words. Uh, clonks him upside the head, uh, just battering this dude's skull. A gut strike, and he's down for the count. Uh, Hex uh, spins and offhand Apollo shots one of the soldiers. He grips his blade in both hands after uh, Hex nearly blasts off his main hand. Then Jet's turn. Uh, Jet gets another shot through the heart. Uh, another one-shot kill. Though technically they all took grenade damage from beforehand. Uh Connor dumps the second barrel of his sawn off into a guy guarding the stairs. Um, Connor blasts the recruit in the right leg. The recruit's still kicking, though. Uh, and uh, shocked by their grenade assault, the recruit scrambled to respond. One swings his scimitar at Connor, but the cloak of disla displacement leads him astray. One swings at Hex, but misses terribly. The remainder fire blow darts at Connor, and they all miss. Only one of them even seems to hit the displaced image of Connor, and that don't count for nothing. Hex uh, shoots another guy, puts a hole in him, a fatal hole. Uh, aims at another one, blasts right through him. Uh, Hex... Charges another recruit, bites with his bonus action. Goes in for the bite. Uh, gets another one of the soldiers. Um, there's basically uh, three guys left. Uh, so Gent uh, targets one of them, pins him through the ankle with a shadow shot. He trips, breaking his neck on the corner of the fortifications. Uh, Gent moves up. Uh, Connor moves up and jabs the recruit to the to the uh west of hex um connor impales the recruit with the javelin uh and connor calls upon paylor as deity steps in where searcher has failed the traitor the magic fades from both the cage and the armor within neutralizing the threat the remaining recruit fires a blow dart at hex for seven piercing and hex blasts the last recruit and uh the raft is cleared. Uh, everyone gets 450 XP, bringing their new total to 343,900. They take the last captive, return to the Bloody Fury, and once again gain the benefits of a short rest. They each gain 100 gold. New gent total is 22,004 gold. They also find two unique weapons on this raft before leaving, one in the cage with the armor and one on the captive trader. The captive trader carries a silver clawed net, that is, a silver net with little claws on the outer perimeter. In the cage, they find a golden lance with the head with a head in the likeness of a charging bull. And uh, Gent says, three cool weapons. And uh, Hex says, four, because there's Dar in the battle axe too. Gent says, right. Uh, can we think about it? And I say, yeah, new problem. We can deal with it next time. And uh, that is where we broke. And I pointed out just before we finished uh, 11,100 XP till level 20. They're almost there. Man, there's some powerful characters. I know I've remarked on it before, but like I can't remember the last time any of my characters got to level 20. 
Yeah, and I mean at level nineteen, they're just like they're in the middle of the battle, just charging enemy positions and just wiping them out. Badass, taking out those rafts. The combat continues. Yeah, I mean, is that the is that it's not the end of the the naval combat, is it? Um. Almost. We're very near. The The trick is they still have to attack the enemy flagship. Yeah. And that is, like, just about to happen, I think. Nice. Sounds like your players were enjoying this, uh, this lengthy stint out on the water. I mean, yeah, it's... it's I don't know. It's encouraging to see and be reminded that like oh yeah this was just like a ton of combat and like they really enjoyed it um as far as i can tell um so yeah it would be good to like get that vibe back once we get back to D D. but i don't know it's just been so long it's uh hard to readjust to that that mm -hmm. vibe. yeah i'm very curious to hear what it's like easing back into this I'm sure you'll you'll hit your stride very quickly. Well, we'll find out, and you'll you'll certainly hear about it here on the podcast. Do you want to hear about outsiders in the meantime? Yeah, for whatever time we got left. Well, it's okay because uh, it's not that I don't have a lot to say about it. It's that a lot of this sort of covers the same ground as Notorious, because of course outsiders is an expansion for the solo journaling RPG Notorious by Jason Price. And the idea behind Notorious is you are a space bounty hunter. It's very inspired by the Mandalorian, as well as other spacefaring, uh, space westerny properties, you know, Firefly, Cowboy Bebop, things like that. And uh, because this is an expansion, the rules are totally the same. Uh, the gameplay cycle is still a loop of exploration. You roll uh, on some exploration tables to have encounters. And then destination. You roll on some destination tables when you arrive at your next location. And the, the cycle continues. Uh, you, uh, you build yourself a character. Your character is called a nomad. They have different stats, different abilities... Uh, different races, and uh, the the key stat that factors into the progression of play is notoriety. And the idea is the more encounters you have, the greater your notoriety score becomes. And then after your notoriety score hits a certain point, when you explore, when you're in the explore phase of the game, you are more and more likely to encounter what is called a lead, and uh, the leads are NPCs that have connections to the target you're trying to ta track down. Of course, your, your mission is to track down your bounty and either kill or capture your target for your client. And after you have encountered two leads, the next time you roll to encounter a lead, it's your target. You have a showdown, which is like a separate little phase of the game. And then 
after the results of your showdown, you roll on a little like epilogue table to generate a conclusion to your story. And then the whole thing can start anew. If you want, you can make a new character or you can do what I did, which is you keep it. My character didn't die. So I kept adventuring with my character and uh, having more encounters going after a new target. I haven't yet uh, gotten into the expansion materials yet so i haven't played this stuff but like i said this this is the same game and you can even just buy outsiders and it gives you everything you need to play the game notorious it's like additional content but they still explain the rules of the game and how to play it uh, which i think is just a it's a great facet of an expansion product like this it doesn't require you to have the original source book it's a standalone expansion well, it is and it isn't because it incorporates some interesting things from the, the original source book as well if you so desire to play that way. The main thing that it adds is something called trilogy mode. And I thought this was pretty cool. Um, it's a way to uh, create an epic three-part story focused on one nomad that combines content from both Notorious and Outsiders. Uh, you create your nomad, you play your first contract using Notorious, uh, tracking a target on a core planet. After you complete that contract and you roll up your epilogue, you then ch gain an upgrade to your character and there's a table on uh, page uh, not nine. Not me, because I blew up at the end of my Notorious game. That's right, you blew up, but after that contract, you can then roll a d6 on the Nomad upgrades to get yourself a cool new feature. Uh, examples include uh, you gain an asset to join you as a permanent companion. To recap, assets are NPCs that have useful abilities, or maybe you increase your defense, maybe you increase your ranged or melee abilities, uh, maybe you gain one notoriety at the start of each contract, or you gain one extra motivation at the start of each contract. So after your first contract, you get like a little bonus, a little upgrade. Then you play your second contract using the Outsiders expansion. And then after that epilogue, you get a second upgrade. And then for the third and final contract, you choose either Notorious or Outsiders. Uh, you can combine event prompts from both books, and then in the in the Outsiders uh, rulebook, there is a separate epilogue table called the Trilogy Epilogue. So that means that you know the endings of your story there have a, a sort of grander, sweeping quality. And then your choice determines whether you head back to the core worlds of Notorious or remain on the fringe worlds of Outsiders. So there's this new storytelling mode where you hop back and forth across the galaxy that these two books are putting together and it combines content from both books. I think that's, that's pretty darn cool. Um, there's even a rule here saying like, when rolling to determine events during your third contract, you combine the prompts from both books by, again, rolling uh, a d6 to determine which book you choose from, and then you roll your destination or exploration events from Notorious or Outsiders, depending on the result on your die. So, 
Uh, to quote the book, as well as opening up a wider variety of encounters, you may discover the intergalactic war has reached the outside, the fringe of the galaxy, or bring new types of conflicts to a core planet. Um, so this is like a, a new way to play that Outsiders adds. Uh, all of the, the basic reactions are still the same, but something else that I really love about this expansion is that, uh, Tom, every example you can think of they have done it anew so like the table for speaking with locals all different options uh just like different results different questions uh it's all different content for the the things on the speak with locals table i remember you were speaking with a lot of locals in your game and you were getting a little bored because it was covering a lot of the same territory new options there too uh same with speaking with leads and targets like, even the little minutia is different. Uh, if you neutralize your threat, there are a whole new table of options here. Uh, so they, they really did, like, rewrite every table in this. Um, all the different assets are, like, all the assets are new and different, too. Um, yeah, and there's a roster of new nomads to go with it. New options for nomads. They are the rookie so, a newbie, right? Your youthful energy and reckless bravado hide a lack of experience and an overwhelming need to prove yourself. There's the tech. Your eccentric intelligence and technical proficiency hide a curious naivete and a desire to atone for a misguided project. Um, the Beastmaster. Uh, your quiet discipline and strong bond with your companion hide existential loneliness and an inability to connect with others. The deserter, your decisive attitude and repurposed armor hide a growing sense of alienation and constant fear of being discovered. Uh, the duo, I thought this was cool. Your chaotic teamwork and juvenile squabbling hide a commitment to each other that goes beyond professional obligation. You play as two characters at once with the duo. And the veteran, your advanced age and jaded attitude hide a wily survival instinct and nagging fear of what happens when you finally retire. And in addition to having all these new nomad profiles to choose from or roll, roll on, uh, they've added a couple of, well, I guess only one looking at it, but they've added a feature to the nomad layout, which is now each nomad has like an additional ability in their loadout. Uh, in Notorious, you get your ranged weapon, your melee weapon, and your outfit. But... There's now a fourth item in the loadout for outsiders. So, for example, the rookie starts with the ability, the guild is watching. You start every game with four motivation. You add one to your result when rolling to determine the outcome of a failed attack. Or the tech has an early warning system. You have a bot companion who fights first. They give stats for the bot. You can't, they can't use motivation, and your bot is fully repaired after combat. The Beastmaster, similar idea. You have a Beast Companion who fights first, they can't use motivation, and your Beast is healed after combat. The Deserter has basic training, ignoring the first damage that you would take when fighting an opponent from the Old Empire, Admiral's, Freet, uh, Admiral's Fleet, New Uprising, or Green Aurora. Those are, there are some new factions in there too. So there's some enemies that you're immune to the first damage they deal. The Duo... Uh, you have two, it's, the ability is called the old one too. You have two nomads. You choose who fights first, then alternate. If one survives, both are fully healed after each combat. 
and the veteran has an ability called One Last Job. You ignore the first damage that you would take when fighting a lead or target. If you're defeated by a target, your game ends immediately. So it's your last job, one last job. Um, so I, I like that they're adding like a little bit of sauce to the the new nomad profiles. Are any of these nomad profiles really uh, appeal to you, Tom? Um, not particularly. I mean, I had I I was kind of the one that I enjoy the most I think is the one that I randomly generated for myself which was the bot which was know? a bot yeah like it's hard to beat the one that I ended up just happening upon I really dig this idea with the duo um I, I'm not getting into like the origin scar or trigger but like uh, in the duo profile the origins are things like your competitive siblings of the same species and one of you reluctantly followed the other into the guild or one of you freed the other from a prison ship while working as a guard and now they claim to owe a life debt. It just adds some interesting story potential in there where even when you're not fighting, you've got your two little characters interacting with each other and they eat the, the loadout for duo has two weapons. You know, each of them gets a weapon, uh, but their outfits, of course, are matching flight suits with a difference in height. The species, again, all new alien species. They've kept the bots. Uh, in this one, they're called rogue bots. I guess the rogue bots are the ones that live on the fringes of the galaxy. But now we've got gelatinous aliens, tentacled aliens, pig-like aliens, mystic marked aliens, fish-like aliens. And I found this hu uh, funny. Human is an option, but they say they're ape-like aliens. Uh... They're, the the quadoi are four-armed. Uh, the gurenga are felines. The kiono are canines. They're rock aliens. They're plant aliens. And they're, of course, bots. Uh, their personalities, like even the personality table, totally different. We got all new options for personalities. Uh, the next time I roll up a nomad, when I start, because I, I want to roll up a new nomad and do the trilogy mode from start to finish, uh, I'm going to probably swap to this table or maybe I'll I'll like roll a d12 and pick from yeah, pick an option from the combined personality tables. Um there are all new planets. There's forest planets, crystalline planets. There's a prison planet, which I think is pretty great. Nice addition there, a dark planet, a military planet. There are all new factions. What's neat about these factions is that they all have a connection to the factions from Notorious. So as an example, there's the Admiral's Fleet. Uh, the old empire's influence is slowly encroaching upon the outside. Admiral Frain, a ruthless tactician, has been assigned to acquire resources, protect military assets, and bring order, and they are allied with the old empire. So the, there are new factions, but they, they work sort of hand in hand with the factions from Notorious and just creates like a nice through line where, you know, it, none of this feels completely separate, but it can still exist on its own. Uh, just scrolling through this, the PDF that I was sent because uh, I backed the Kickstarter. The art remains great. Love these these different like art spreads. There's one that's uh, that's clearly inspired by pod racing. I really like uh, game. Yeah, gameplay remains the same, but like here's another example of just like they tweaked it just enough that even if you've played lots of Notorious, 
the tiniest little details are are different so you can have a, a a new experience with the game like on the exploration table in notorious uh let me actually just pull up notorious here so if you roll a six on your exploration table in notorious it says nothing eventful happens gain one motivation and roll a die and then the three options that you could get to inspire uh, your story are what peaceful local activity do you spend time observing? What destruction do you see caused by the intergalactic war? And what dangerous terrain do you successfully navigate? Well, in Outsiders, those options are what rare natural phenomenon do you feel lucky to witness? What, what destruction do you see caused by a faction? How is nature rejecting a faction's presence here? So like all the little prompts are different. And that, of course, goes holds true for all the exploration tables. Literally everything on the exploration and destination tables are different from what what exists in Notorious. Um, scrolling through these tables here. Same with like searching. If you're searching, all new options for your search. Uh, the rules for leads remain the same, but the types of leads uh, they are all different too. The leads table, it's like just all different options. Local, uh, a local assassin, a local politician, a pair of twins, brutish thugs assigned to protect your target. Um, target options are all same. The climactic showdown has new options in it too. The setting and then uh, new options for your epilogue. And of course, that final table that is the trilogy epilogue. And here, let me give you like one example of the trilogy epilogue. So after completing three contracts, uh, if you roll really low on your trilogy epilogue, so if you roll a nine or less, the Nomads Guild believes your recent failures have tarnished their reputation for always finishing the job. They voted to immediately revoke your license and cut all communication. Which of your contracts is referenced in their final message? Which of your former assets asks to follow you into exile? And where do you lie low, forever now looking over your shoulder? A new thread. You believe your time in the guild has been long forgotten until an unfamiliar guild agent darkens your doorway, offering an unusual bounty. And then, of course, cliffhanger, let's get into a new trilogy or a new adventure. So uh, I already really enjoyed... Uh, notorious. I think the, we've we've now covered a number of solo RPGs on this show, and it still remains like the gold standard for me. Uh, it's it, I find it inspires a lot of fun creativity and storytelling. Just getting back into my old nomad to finish up his contract that I had set aside for a, a while there. Like it's still a really fun game, and I'm really excited to crack into this new content and the, uh, i think again the product is great great artwork like looks really good uh f fun gameplay and hey you know what tom it even has uh what you have said before is essential in a pdf source book it's got hyperlinked text and bookmarks so uh, a lot of the time, if it's like you will need to roll on the species table, there's a high, uh, there's a, a hyperlink on the word species, and then also there is the the big bookmark index uh, in your PDF reader that can take you directly to the species table as well. So just well put together products. They look really good. Uh, it would be fun to own this in in a hard copy. I don't know if I'll I'll bother because it would just be like 
fun to have. I don't know how big their print run is or anything, but I'm really happy to have picked it up and I'm really happy to have backed the Outsiders expansion. Seems like there's there's a whole new side of the galaxy for me to explore. You got any thoughts on uh, on any of this, any of this stuff? You've been looking at it? Yeah, I've been looking through it. I mean, uh, it's definitely cool, like, having, you know, one, one of, the, it's like you said, like, one of my sort of things with Notorious was at some point I've reached the limit of certain tables and things and uh, some of the smaller ones and definitely, like, building them out a bit would, would improve. Um, it's just funny to think that, like, you know, would I start just like playing with the D12 and start using like mixes of all the tables or what would I do? Um, I mean, I could totally see that, especially with something like, you know, speaking to locals like yeah. that. That seems like a good place to just use both tables together and, and randomly generate what the locals are talking about. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the sheer fact that they like redid the content of every table I think is great. Like they really, they want to give you your money's worth here and, and make everything feel fresh, even to a seasoned player while at the same time, making the outsiders expansion on its own, uh, amenable to a brand new player too. Cause nothing, nothing sucks worse. This has happened to me. In fact, uh, where somebody gets you as a gift, uh, a source book that is an expansion to a game where you don't have the core rule book. That happened to me with uh, the Firefly RPG. I had on my Amazon wishlist for a while the, the Firefly RPG core rulebook and then two expansions. And for Christmas, somebody bought me one of the expansions, but I still didn't have the core rulebook. And it's like, this is cool. And I, I used all the story content from that expansion book that I have in my Firefly campaign. But... I couldn't actually run it in a game of Firefly because I didn't have... That was have... the verse? Yeah, that was the verse. So, like, yeah. I, I used, like, all the NPCs and story content. You used content. the whole meat. I used... Well, I didn't, though. I used the story meat, but I couldn't use the rules meat because I didn't have the core source book for that system. Couldn't use the bones. Oh, I guess that's how you put it. I used the meat, but not <laughs> the bones. But in with outsiders, you can use the meat and bones just with this one one product. I think that's that's great. That's really really nice. Uh, it's really nice of Jason Price. Well, is that the end of our episode? It sure is. And uh, and again, like play Notorious and uh, grab Outsiders. Worth it. Um. So uh, if you want to get in touch with us or see when we post new episodes, um, follow us on Comparing Campaign on Facebook. Or if you want to see our supplemental materials and show notes, check us out on comparingcampaign.wordpress.com. Uh, who, who's got a trilogy to continue? Not me. But I sure do, and uh, so uh, roll on those tables and, and get your target. Hell yeah.